0: Hello everyone. My name is Joshua Gilliland, and I'm one of the founding attorneys of the Legal Geeks. With me this evening to discuss the Bad Batch episode in Tuned is Thomas Harper. Tom, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing wonderful. I uh, we got new Star Wars to talk, and I leave for Batuu in a few days. Uh not aboard the Halcyon, unfortunately, but uh a, a trip to Batuu is always something to be thankful for. So
0: definitely. I uh I was able to renew my magic key, so I look forward to being able to go to Disneyland, uh, maybe during WonderCon or some of the other events coming up because sometimes you just want to cheer up and ride Space Mountain. That's
1: exactly, it. exactly. Do you want to give a, a quick, uh, cause it's the 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 news can be released publicly. Do we want to give a sneak preview?
0: Yes, for for you, so. I can say I submitted panels for WonderCon and we remain optimistic that that they'll give us at least one, but you, you have news. Where are you going to be?
1: Well, as a steward of the legal geeks and the red cross, uh, I'll be joined by Gabby Martin. So many of you know, you've listened to Gabby, you've watched Gabby, you've read (laughs) Gabby's stuff on the blog she's a phenomenal attorney and a massive Star Wars fan just a, an all around uh tried and true legal geek she's going to be joining me with a small team we're actually going to go to PAX East for the first time up in Boston at the end of March if you're not familiar with PAX it's probably the second one of the biggest if not the second biggest to E3 video gaming conventions it's on the east coast and uh up there in Boston should be a fun time but we're going to do a panel about the law of war in video games. So everything from Skyrim to uh, Jedi Fallen Order to all the other Star Wars video games that I will no doubt cram in there. We'll look at some, some non-war type games like Mario and, and try to extract some issues as we do, but it'll be fun. It'd be the first time that we've, uh, we've cracked into that convention, so it should be a good time.
0: That's outstanding and if all goes well, We'll be at WonderCon the same weekend, so we'll have Legal Geeks.
1: Coast to coast.
0: (laughs) Yes, fantastic. (laughs) Uh, The simulcast can begin. So let's talk about Bad Batch. I, again, am grateful to live in a world where we have Star Wars on a weekly basis. This episode had uh, call-outs and homages to Indiana Jones uh kaiju and daimogen uh there is a lot of uh, you can tell that the fandoms were heavily in play in the writer's room this season A bad batch uh, and even some of the musical selection had different raiders type type feels to it uh, and it also has wonderful legal issues because we begin in a junkyard which raises the issue of can you just go into a junkyard and take stuff And the answer is kind of, so it depends on the junkyard. So if it's a junkyard that sells stuff, no, it's like a pick and pull. You're going to go, go in and you pay money to either enter for a period or you pay per pound for what you get. Like it's all kinds of weird requirements. Uh, And I know there are people who love pick and pulls to go find car parts for their classic Mustang to, to rebuild. And then there's the view that it's abandoned property. And if it's abandoned property, nobody owns it. And thus it's a free for all. So if you see junk, it could be yours. And that could then be your treasure because that could be very much in the eye of the beholder. Um, I do not recommend going to junkyards and just doing that for, (laughs) for giggles. That could have all kinds of negative repercussions on uh, what your spouse might think of you, friends and family. Um, I worry about people who dumpster dive to think that they're going for treasure. But Tom, thoughts on this?
1: This is a an interesting look at post Clone Wars or the post Clone Wars galaxy because they're they're not just salvaging from any old junkyard. This is war scrap. I mean, it's they they are looking through the at least that I saw in the background, like wreckage of uh, one of the Republic gunships, the, the Lats. And that's a, a scene that's probably playing out across the galaxy. I mean, we, we sort of famously saw it uh, at the center of Ray's character in The Force Awakens. But this is probably all over the place. And so it's at some point, it had been Republic and now Imperial military property. But it's been destroyed, and at least in this instance, I think there's a, a pretty clear-cut argument that this has been abandoned. You have other areas. I mentioned Jedi Fallen Order, so you have uh, a, sh- a ship-breaking world on Braca, where you have this massive um, tear-down operation, where they're salvaging parts, and it's a business uh, kind of like Josh mentioned. But that's not the case here. It's just sort of. You might as well uh, have tossed a bunch of Jawas in there, and they'd be right at home. Um, this is sort of a tried and true, uh, rusted out heap from an old battle. So I think they're okay. Uh,
0: agreed with that. It's it doesn't look like there's any breaking and entering. They're like just mm-hmm. going through the junkyard. It's their thing.
1: They're breaking, uh, but just in a different sense.
0: Yeah, it's like they're opening <laughs> what's in this compartment what's in this glove box and again somebody's life somebody's treasure and we don't touch on like how long has that compass been in there how many you know is this thing like 10,000 years old And <laughs> it's just been shuffled throughout the galaxy and it ends up with someone who is inspired enough to go like hey this looks like a compass with a star chart uh, I mean I did feel this episode was a little frantic or scattered uh mm-hmm. disjointed i mean there's a couple ways to look at it but yeah now now you did add to uh or outline the issue of booby traps to protect property uh that might go more towards going to the planet but did you want to address that now oh
1: my my commentary was was uh once they get to the planet and they're oh. looking for the heart of the mountain.
0: Well, let's, let's go to the planet and they're out treasure hunting. The planet looks abandoned, which gives similar analysis to Morag from guardians of the galaxy that if everybody there is dead, no one cares about it anymore. It's an abandoned planet and all the property on it is abandoned and forgotten and nobody cares I think salvaging it is legally acceptable because it's abandoned. It's been there for thousands upon thousands of years. Uh, We don't, how long have the Jedi been in existence? Even though they've just been wiped out, but like, what's the. Uh,
1: At at that point. So Obi-Wan quotes a thousand generations. um...
0: And if a generation's 20 years, so that's (laughs) 20,000. So,
1: so 19 and some change. I suppose
0: okay. so. Something <laughs> older than you know, over over twenty thousand years old. So, like, it could be, I don't know, five hundred thousand. Like, this would be like coming upon cave drawings. Except when you are expecting cave drawings, you find what's left of a a primitive or a, an automobile from a very different era. That would be whoa, that should not exist. So, uh, but this planet's been leveled nuked it's like nothing's alive there anymore except for some foliage growing like it's not uh, there there's there's nobody there to claim ownership we go to the entrance and they shoot is it recklessness to go in what do you think
1: So it doesn't seem like they have much knowledge at all, other than that this location might contain uh, a treasure of some sorts. Generally, and it doesn't seem like Fee has really any idea that this could be uh, sort of a dangerous journey ahead, an idea of booby traps, or really anything about the civilization or people that were behind this the treasure, the heart of the mountain, or what we ultimately find is this super weapon, scar and all, none of it. So it's, you're, you're back to relying on maybe the, the her sort of general experience or what a reasonable person might expect. And really at that point, you're, you're dealing in the business of uh, foreseeability of perils in entering a really old place. And I don't know that it would, be, it would rise to the level of recklessness here. Certainly, you've got omega with you, and I think the calculus is different. You have the business of bringing a child along, I think your, your risk level goes up, and, and maybe you're flirting with that level. Uh, but recklessness, it, as far as a legal standard goes, is, is not a low one. Um, and so I think you have some problems with foreseeability
0: here. One of the things that I jumped on from an environmental safety issue was the air quality. So they open the doorway, which is sealed. It's possibly been tens of thousands of years since anyone's gone in there. You don't know if the air is safe. There was no testing of the environment to go like, we could go in. So like with uh, on board a big boat, and let's say opening up the foc'sle to go in or the forepeak, peak to go in and do some work to to whether it's clean out one of the uh, bilge pumps, uh, the rose box that could be in there for pumping out water if it gets in. It's a part of a boat that's generally not accessible and it's sealed. And so when you open it up, you want to ventilate it and put uh, like a air to, uh, pump in there to pump out stale air you don't know if it's safe and there are devices to measure air quality Mm -hmm. is this dangerous to someone and it's like opening up again a tomb and pick pick the culture with a tomb (laughs) i don't know if that's a good idea i would want to test air quality before we go into the you know forty thousand year old tomb to see what's inside uh so i i do think it's high risk behavior uh whether or not it's recklessness is you know again could be subject to debate I do think it's negligent yeah like you did you did nothing to ensure the safety of anyone before walking in to a formally sealed chamber and not knowing the environmental quality of that compartment so I I think it's a bad thing
1: yeah, you got to at least, in, to, to bring D&D into this, you got to at least roll a history check. <laughs> or a check for traps, something like that. They did none of this.
0: No. Unacceptable. No. no, and like, and Tech's good at scanning that sort of thing. And so they like, they, they don't. <laughs> Tech was analyzing races just last episode. <laughs> there, there's like no scan. He's nothing. tired.
1: He's tired. He needs needs a break.
0: He's on a victory lap. He's just dialing in and... Fine, we'll do this for the kid. Uh, they go in, and we started encountering booby traps. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about booby traps.
1: Well, the long and short of it: illegal. <laughs> you can't. You can't set them up to protect your property. This is sort of the classic element of a treasure hunt story. I mean, oh, Indiana Jones, the the uh, plot line of almost all the movies. Revolves or involves, uh, in at least some form or fashion, booby traps set by some ancient being or culture to protect property, and it it's no different here. They encounter a number of. Uh, you start off with a puzzle in that room, but it they they end up with some pretty deadly traps. They're designed to to protect the treasure, protect what ultimately is uh sort of i guess the command center the the item that can turn on this super weapon the law sort of almost uniformly uh treats booby traps as uh it, if not outright illegal there are certain states that that um outlaw booby traps for so on the books they make them a criminal offense arkansas is one of those states where it's a uh, a lower class of felony to, to uh, rig your property with a booby trap. But it goes to the, the notion that we've covered in podcasts before, this business of what level of force does the law find to be acceptable to use in certain situations? And when it there's a big difference and a big gulf between using force or even deadly force to protect yourself, a, a human being, a life, and using force to protect stuff. And the law really looks uh, unfavorably on the latter. Uh, There's um, not much justification, even in situations where your stuff's actively getting stolen and you have a really reasonable uh, fear of future property loss or property damage. uh, The law still doesn't really allow for uh, booby traps. And we, we talked last week, uh, one of my favorite cases from law school. I'm going to bring another of my favorite cases in law school. Catco versus Briny. is a case probably studied still to this day by every law student in their first year torts class. But it's a case about booby traps. Like, how could you not like a case about that? But it's this uh, this uh, man and woman, uh, they this is in the 70s. They own an old sort of abandoned farmhouse in Iowa. Uh, they place trust patent no trespassing signs outside this house is all boarded up but they experience frequent break-ins so the husband uh, Mr. Briney he rigs up a 20-gauge shotgun to fire uh, whenever the the door to a particular bedroom is open well along comes Mr. Katko he enters the house to steal some fruit jars of all things he opens the booby trap door and the shotgun fires on his legs. Uh, put Catco put in the hospital and he ultimately wins a uh, a settlement that's equates to just shy of about 200 grand these days. And so the, the, the case was decided against the property owner in spite of Catco being there for all the wrong reasons. And the same is true here. The, the motivation is different. I don't think the this civilization that set up all these traps intended or they feared um, so much that the property would be stolen. I think that these traps were set to keep people out so that this uh, scar and all would never be awoken again, activated, if you will. But even that is not not justification to uh, to do this sort of thing and and you see repeated cases in the real world again and again where the the most sort of seemingly justified of individuals, uh, end up having their cases decided against them because you just can't set booby traps.
0: Uh, no, no. I mean, like a huge issue in in law school and torts. California's jury instructions on defense of property state: when conditions are present which, under the law, justify a person using force. In defense of property, that person may use that degree and extent of force as would appear to a reasonable person placed in the same position and seeing and knowing what the resisting person then sees and knows to be reasonably necessary to prevent imminent threatened, uh, excuse me, imminent injury threatened to the property. Any use of force beyond that limit is excessive and unjustified, and anyone using excessive force is legally responsible for the consequences thereof. And that's uh, uh, Cal Jig number uh, 5.43. You know, there's case law that's that's similar, that you just, you don't get to put landmines out. Like, you just... Tiger traps, like, (laughs) no, like this is a boulder falls out of the ceiling and could have crushed somebody. Not okay. Now it's an interesting question that who set all this up because did they turn off the war machine and then put all these booby traps in order to prevent people from getting inside? Uh, Interesting question. Uh, everybody's dead but it did remind me a little of a force unleashed with some of the uh, uh, puzzles you have to unlock in order Mm -hmm. to move up i haven't played fallen order so i don't know if if there's anything similar in that Uh, but it it did feel familiar with what they had in this which then brings us to the question of Super weapons. So there's, again, clearly folks love Japanese kaiju movies and Dimogen, which is like a big statue that comes to life that's 50 feet tall. And this looks like a a mech. Uh, It's automated. It doesn't seem to be a droid. Uh, There's definitely some AI working uh, in order to process what to shoot at. Uh, but it it does have that feel like Mecha Godzilla or mechanicong. It turns on and just starts unleashing hell to vaporize everything around it, which again is a terror weapon. you know, it's it's four legs. Uh, it walks strangely since the front legs are much larger than the rear. Um, did that? I saw one article that highlighted this looks like an alien from fallen order. Did you get into that at all?
1: No, I didn't make that connection, but it does look. I assume the connection is to the the Zepho, these beings that uh, pre-Jedi order beings that were force users. So it could be that the episode didn't give any backstory on it, but I, that's a cool connection if it's actually what it is terrifying weapon though
0: yeah it's it's meant to scare the bejesus out of people (laughs) before vaporizing them so it's and then leave nothing alive normally with a terror weapon it's to instill terror so the survivors express terror this is scary and commits genocide so that's just brutal (laughs) it, it will terrify the population before it eliminates them but somebody had to turn it off unless it turned off on its own but then who set the traps so there's a
1: <laughs> but we don't need
0: all these answers but those are the things that that I do wonder about How, okay here we go
1: yeah the it it immediately brought back memories of the death star and it's most famous super laser that we see, but this is land based, which is very different than something we've seen before and it it really charts uh a, a really terrific level of destruction as it unleashes its beam and so it got me thinking, you know could you have this as a as a legitimate weapon of war it it i mean the the implication is that all was was used and maybe ha- be the reason why uh this this planet there uh out in the the Kaldar trinary is <laughs> like abandoned or dead at this point um it seems like a big battle was had to bury it in the mountain but really the problem with a weapon like that it's not patently illegal to to have a highly destructive device like that even a super weapon uh, or a super laser could be lawful in some circumstances, but it's really hard to employ a weapon like that and not commit a war crime. Quite frankly, because it's an indiscriminate beam, it's not like, say, a, a laser blast that you can aim and discriminate in your target and control your the proportionality of your damage. In other words, you know what what advantage are you gaining militarily versus the civilian collateral damage There, there's no discrimination there with a weapon like that it, it destroys whatever you pointed at and the weapon itself is automated and doesn't it just seems in destructo mode it doesn't seem to be applying any real thought to what it's targeting and so that's an entirely different layer of problems if the weapon just both its weaponry and the vehicle itself that mounts it can't discriminate or won't, that's just sort of patently illegal. Um, and, and that's to say nothing of the scale of destruction. And you know, how can you deploy that in a way that doesn't just cause unacceptable collateral damage?
0: It, it's designed to kill everyone. So exactly. unless you're at total war where the civilian population is now fair game, it's a walking war crime so because you're going to deploy it to raise the planet it's going to take decades for it to walk around and kill everything that's its intent i it's tough to make that legal
1: (laughs) yeah well and mel Mel, uh the the poor droid droid here (laughs) plays the pays the ultimate price and gets uh, evaporated. Although Fee <laughs> says she can rebuild her, we'll see.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's the backup won't have the trauma of getting vaporized. So yeah, right. <laughs> good. Uh, it won't remember the terror. But you know, it does raise interesting questions about letting Omega be near Fee because Hunter's doing the good dad thing of not just shutting down the opportunity. They all say, fine, we're family road trip, get in the station wagon, we're gonna go exploring for treasure. Not many dads are on board with that plan. It's like, let's go to Arizona to find the lost Dutchman mine. Like few dads would go, game on. I don't lost track of all the people who died doing this, but we're go, it will be different for us. And and they they go for it. But you see, fees style. Uh, uh, Omega being enamored with it. And
1: mm-hmm. that's
0: dangerous. But he doesn't say no, which would cause the preteen child to naturally want to hang out with Fee more. So this way it's at least they can see the error of the ways. But I uh, I don't think uh, Omega is discouraged by the fact that they all nearly died. No. Five <laughs> or six times in like 30 minutes. So. Um, and, and Hunter's big on that it's like we nearly died three times today and that's in the middle of the episode so like
1: there's
0: <laughs> <laughs> the risk factor is not over yet
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, so yeah I think Fee's a bad influence I would not want the kid around the highly destructive personality that could get people killed
1: don't let Wanda Sykes let you uh, let her hear that it's <laughs> what have it
0: been omega outside fling for her life there's no backup of her so this is true it's just convenient the droid got fried or or vaporized
1: it's always got to be the droid
0: yeah there's i i don't remember what podcast highlighted the bad batch is a uh, body count of droids <laughs> but apparently it's it's high <laughs> I mean, Mando season one was high for Astro I think it was four, maybe five,
1: right.
0: uh, you know, so, but they, they've seemed to be going through a couple of episodes. So <laughs> uh, yes, that's a tons of fun. I'm grateful that we have this every week. Any other issues that you noticed in this one?
1: No, I, um, I'm looking forward to hopefully getting back to to some of the core story. I think we've we've had a couple sort of reset episodes. And you know, I'd like to see the series dig back in, if not to crosshair story with I, I want to see the clone or the cloning storyline picked back up from last season, but we'll see. It was a fun episode.
0: It was. Now, here's something I've wondered a lot about with Echo, and we know they don't embrace this technology because we've seen stories that cover another you know, 40 years worth of, in the timeline. Somebody loses a limb, they get a robot hand, mm-hmm. bionic. They don't try cloning a new hand and giving that person a new organic hand. Because when I look at what's left of Echo, why didn't the, you know, those on Camino just clone the rest of him to give, an, give him a new donor body for the lower half that he <laughs> lost? <clears throat> Which then would open the issue for if you lose a hand to a lightsaber, you can get a new hand. Uh, but they just, they don't go that way. They don't go that right. way. But that's something I've been thinking about with, if you got good cloning tech... You could you could give somebody a new hand. Yeah. In
1: this case, he likes his his body. (laughs) He likes his scompling That's all.
0: There's (laughs) there's very little left of him. (laughs) So, and you see him eating. It's like there's I don't think you have any plumbing left. Like what's how's this all work? So anyway, those are just Uh, medical questions that I wonder about. Yeah. Well, with that, thank you everyone for tuning in. We'll be back for more. And uh, come February, we'll be Bad Batch, probably Picard. And then hit March, we'll get Mando. So there's going to be lots of things to talk about in the near future. So wherever you listen, please leave a review. I do have a Patreon. And everyone, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay geeky.